Uh, Father, we come to you to hear your word. Your words are life. Uh, your words uh, bring life to our spirit. And it's apart from your words, Lord, there, there is no life. We are dead. We are destitute. And we need you to come with your Holy Spirit to bring your uh, words uh, to resurrect us. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Um, so every once in a while, you get this in, sometimes in the Gospels, and this happens a lot in Paul's teaching and in the epistles, where you get, he's writing a letter to the people, and he's explaining like, hey, don't have sexual, don't have sexual morality, and he's like teaching them something, or he's writing to them about something, and then there's just like a line or two of like, and here's a principle you should have been following. And so we're going to look at that principle in 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Uh, I'm going to try to belabor the reading so that those people that come in in 10 minutes can still know what we're talking about. And so Jesus did that uh, when he was condemning the Pharisees. Um, I think it's in Matthew 10. can't remember exactly where it's at, where he's uh, arguing with them about the law uh, and and bringing up charges against them. And he, then he puts in a little line that says, and the scriptures cannot be broken. He's like explaining something to him. He's, he's bringing a condemnation against them. And then he just adds like a little principle. And by the way, the scriptures cannot be broken. And then he continues on. And Paul kind of does the same thing here. So we're going to look at uh, godly grief. <clears throat> As Roseanne pointed out, I should have just called this good grief and had a picture of Charlie Brown <clears throat> on, the, on the back. But I never really like getting titles for sermons anyways. The title is 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 10. Um, so first I'm going to read it in the ESV. And so pay attention where the ESV is going to use the word uh, grieved um, and grief. The NASB is going to use some, some different words. And so I normally like to look up, at least in the English translations, the ESV, the NASB, the King James, and the New King James, because those are... Uh, very good literal equivalent translations uh, for the English. And so let's read it in the ESV. <clears throat> for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. You felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And so I'm going to read the same thing in the NASB. It's a little bit longer. For though I caused you sorrow with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it, for I see that that letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. And this is where the Nazbi uh, uh, puts a little bit more impact in here. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer any loss, might suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so this is uh, uh, what we call the second le letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. This is actually his third letter. 
Uh, in the first epistle he writes to the Corinthians, he references a first letter. So 1 Corinthians is 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians is 3 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians doesn't exist in our hands. You got it? All right, good. Uh, and so Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. Um, he might be referencing his, what we call the, the uh, first Corinthians, he might be re- referencing a different letter. But if you look at Second uh, Corinthians 2, verse 4, he gives a little hint of what he's talking about uh, all the way in chapter 7. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. And so Paul's writing a letter and it's causing him grief and pain. He's writing it out of love. He's not just uh, bringing down the hammer because there are a bunch of mess-ups and he loves to punish them. He's doing it out of love, but that caused him a lot of grief, right? It says that he was, he was even regretting sending the letter uh, because of how much grief or sorrow it, it would cause. And so Paul might be talking about 1 Corinthians, um, you know, in such, just to put it in context of such things like he opens the letters like, why is there any division among you? What are you guys doing? Some of you say you follow Paul. Some of you say you follow Peter. What are you talking about? Get your head straight. Get, get out of the mud. Why is there any division? And so he opens up a little harsh, or so some people might think it's harsh. Um, and he gets into, you know, uh, there's a lot of different principles we use for church membership and for different things. And 1 Corinthians 5, we've got this uh, situation where there's a man caught in sexual immorality. Well, he's not caught. He's boasting about it. Uh, he's boasting about sleeping with his mother-in-law. And that's not good. It's not good, and it's not good to boast about it. And Paul doesn't offer like a normal means of reconciliation and just you know, inform him lightly that that's probably not good and that's not in accordance with godly character. Uh, no, he says... Get them out. Just kick them out. Don't warn them. Just when you guys meet together, get them out of the church. He doesn't belong there. Hand them over to Satan. So Paul's a little harsh. He's got some harsh words that might have caused them a lot of um, a lot of grief or a lot of sorrow. And so Paul's even. I think Paul. This is my opinion. That I think Paul's what grieved him is that he has this relationship with the Corinthian church and he's writing to them and they might just say, as Second uh, Corinthians deals a lot with Paul asserting his apostleship and his, uh, and his headship over the Corinthian church and uh, a real option for the Corinthian church would have been, thanks Paul, um, but you're not welcome back. Thanks for coming here and starting the church evangelizing, but you know what? We got it. No thanks, Paul. Uh, And they could have just done their own thing, right? And Paul knew that was a reality. Paul knew that was, if he brought these harsh words and these condemnations and these corrections, that a real option for them was, well, uh, they do say we follow Peter and we follow Paul, and let's just start following Peter, because I don't like Paul. (laughs) Uh, Right? We do that all the time. You know, um, and so Paul's this was grieving him into thinking maybe I shouldn't have even sent that letter, maybe what I did was a little too far, but it was out of his love. 
It was out of much tears and much sorrow on his own part. And so Paul was actually grieving over the sorrow that he caused to the people. He didn't enjoy inflicting emotional pain, uh, though he did find it necessary. Uh, But his joy came in the fact that those hard words that he had to speak led the people to repentance. And so that's what we're kind of looking at today. And so... Um, so it could have ruined their relationship. It could have brought them, uh, could have brought Paul and the Corinthian church to a division where Paul was no longer welcome. Um, but on the other hand, it could have brought them closer. And so in Paul's mind, by the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, those hard words were necessary. And so what we're getting at here today is as we look at the passage, uh, is those hard words, those um, and having that godly grief that leads to repentance. So, um, so I kind of want to mention, maybe break off for a minute, but because uh, that brings into play just how we work in the church and in different areas. And so if you don't have a person speaking hard words into your life in accordance with the scriptures, you are certainly acting the fool, right? Uh, there's only two proverbs that I like to quote a lot. Does anybody, anybody, this is a give and take. Does anybody know Proverbs 12, 1, what is it? He who hates reproof for stupid. Don't be an idiot. <laughs> you guys got it? All right, let's go get some coffee. Uh, right? Not receiving instruction means that you're biblically a fool. Right? A fool takes Proverbs 18, I can't remember if it's one or two. Is it two? Yeah, it's two. A fool... Uh, takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his, his own opinion. So um, the Proverbs were meant to give you just quick, wise discernment and direction. You know, there's no... Uh, then people write commentaries about, about the Proverbs and how that plays out into your life. And so if a fool takes no pleasure in understanding and he only asserts his own opinion, there's a way in which we could live where we don't it's not that we just reject people's opinions when they come to us, but we live in a world of our, just our own opinions by not allowing uh, ourselves to experience other opinions, right? Um, I remember when I started reading uh, the Bible for the first time, I grew up in church and uh, had my idea of who Jesus was and my idea of what it meant to be a Christian. And then uh, I started reading the Gospels, and then you got characters like John the Baptist, who are yelling at people, woe to you, who told you to flee from the wrath to come, you brood of vipers. I'm like, oh man, I could see why his message wasn't so popular. I could see why they wanted to send him to jail. And then you get to Jesus, and he's not a lot different, right? You whitewashed tombs. Well, Jesus, you're not going to get a lot of followers that way, and you didn't, right? And so when I started reading the scriptures for the first time, that I saw that Jesus really wasn't this nice, loving person that I thought he was, in the way that I thought he was. He wasn't just a nice kind of guy. He, he, was, he was no soft man, <clears throat> right? Woe to you, uh, lawyers and scribes, who travel over land and sea to make one proselyte, and you make him twice as more a son of hell. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> like, 
And then in the next chapter, they want to kill him, right? Uh, Jesus did not come speaking soft words. He, the majority of his words were hard words, were you know, words that were divisive, that were hard to get. Um, you know, you can maybe say in some renditions of like, you know, Bible movies and stuff, and you kind of get this idea that maybe Peter really liked that. Like, yeah, Peter's like sitting behind Jesus, like, yeah, get him, Jesus. And, uh, and then, but Jesus didn't talk any differently to his disciples. He told Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> You're not even thinking the way of God. You're thinking demonically. You're thinking like the... <laughs> Uh, like Satan. And <laughs> Peter's like, I love you, Jesus. I'll follow you wherever I go, wherever you go. Peter's like, or Jesus is like, no, you're going to deny me. Right? Jesus was no soft speaker. And so uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the kind of the ways of God. We're often, we don't hear it that often, but you hear that God works in mysterious ways. Well, not really. It's pretty, pretty much laid out. Romans 2.4. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Okay. Uh, so God's going to allow, and he's kind of going to try to produce a grief in order to lead you to repentance out of his grace. 2 Timothy 2.25 and 26. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So repentance is a gift. He grants it. We don't muster up in ourselves any repentance. It's not something I did. It's not something someone else did in me, yet he uses us. And so repentance is that mental shift. It's a resolve to change. It's not anything else. It's not, it's not the steps forward. It's not anything else except for I'm in my mind going to do something different. And so this is why John the Baptist says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He wouldn't have to say bear fruit in keeping with repentance if repentance was the bearing of the fruit of the changed mind. And so uh, between Romans and Timothy, those passages, we're seeing that like this is a gift of God. He wants to lead you on a path of repentance. He wants to bring about you a mental change, a resolve in your mind, in your spirit, that like I'm not going to go this way anymore. Right, And so, uh, John the Baptist tells you to bear fruit with that and to keep going with that. Uh, Romans 6.19 talks about present your bodies as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. And so that is, in context, as you know, John Gray went all the way through Romans, of saying, you don't have an option. There's not, I'm going to present my body to righteousness when I feel like it, when I want to. When the time's right, it's you're a slave. You're a slave here or you're a slave here. You're a slave to righteousness or you're a slave to sin. There's no in-between. You pick one or the other. And that's a mental resolve. You are going to, when you're a slave, you know what righteousness is. You know the law of God. You know the way, what God would have you do. And you don't get a choice anymore. You just do it. That's what slaves do. And so there's a way of God that uh, where he wants you to feel a really deep sorrow, uh, regret, and emotional grief. That's what God wants for you. He wants regret. <laughs> he wants emotional grief. He wants you to feel sorry. 
He wants you to feel grieved. Amen. See you guys next week. <laughs> no. Uh, but it's the, the, so the ways of God, like, that's where he's starting. There's no shift. There's no sanctification. There's no change if you don't start there. And so uh, Roman, te- Roman 10 spells out um, that, you know, when someone is preaching to or evangelized to, that uh, no one's going to ever hear the gospel unless someone preaches, and no one's going to preach unless they're sent, right? And so God doesn't drop down in the middle of a foreign country, and uh, normally, this is not his normal oper- operative patterns, and... Uh, have an incarnate Christ speak to somebody on a, a desert island. If God wants to reach them, he's going to send missionaries. That's the ways of God. That's how he works. He doesn't, uh, no one gets converted outside of the gospel. Nobody hears the gospel outside of preachers. Nobody preaches unless they're sent. Got it? All right. And so the same thing uh, with how God is producing repentance. And so... Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to man. So he actually intends to use other people, mainly our brothers and sisters in Christ, to bring about godly grief, which produces conviction, which produces repentance, which produces uh, ability for us to walk out in faith, which leads to sanctification and no regret. And so God's always working through his people. And so that means if God wants you to grow in a specific area, uh, he's going to bring somebody to help you. And it's, uh, and it's not going to probably be easy or, or soft. Um, we often talk about the three tools of grace. And I think that they're structured in a, uh, in a practical hierarchy with the authority and the word of God on top, delivering his grace to you, and the spirit... Uh, delivers that to you, the Word of God to you. So the second, it's the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, and then the church. And so this is the way I think. I think uh, it's inevitable, but I try as much to read Scripture and have the Holy Spirit convict me so that you people don't have to bring hard words to me (laughs) and bring conviction. And so I'm doing that for you. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) you're, You're welcome. Um, but it's kind of like if you're reading scripture and if you read uh, uh, Proverbs 12.1, whoever hates reproof is stupid. Yeah, I really need to get better at correction. People, my boss, uh, whoever, correct me and I don't take it well, my parents, whatever. And then you get convicted by the Holy Spirit and you could say that there's some internal change going on. But we don't really know because you haven't been corrected yet. Right, And so uh, try as much as possible to get convicted by the word and let the Holy Spirit do the work so that when the, the third tier, the people, the people of God, or there's a, a situation where in context of Proverbs 12.1, you get reproved or corrected, you actually bear fruit in keeping with repentance and you have an opportunity to actually change. You have an opportunity to be stupid or to be wise, Right? The, uh, the church is that like practical, like earth-level stream of God's grace where you get to see um, if you're actually going to keep forth uh, with repenting. And so 
um, when God's working in you, he's going he's gonna to want to bring these hard truths into someone's life. And so uh, that means a couple things. Um, well, the problem with people is that they want to, we want to hide in darkness. Uh, there's shame, there's guilt, there's conviction, but that doesn't necessarily produce repentance, right? Uh, we talk about besetting sins of like things that happen over and over and over, and you're like, man, I'm really tired of it. And it's like, well, that person is usually feeling guilt or shame and a level of conviction, but not enough that it produces repentance or something's happening where it doesn't produce repentance. And so there's people that suffer, uh, allow themselves to suffer through the same things year after year after year after year because they've never taken the necessary steps to, uh, to repent. And there's a lot of things that go into that. And so um, sometimes as they know if they confess, uh, they will have to repent. And so it might keep them accountable. And so that happens all the time. Uh, I think we've all uh, been part of that. But, and so you kind of live in this middle ground of where you have this problem, where you have this area that you know the Lord wants you to grow in, and you feel convicted about it, but you're not ready to repent, which is unrepentant. Right? That's a, uh, what Paul says in, in these verses is worldly grief. It produces regret. It produces death. It doesn't produce life. It doesn't produce repentance. It doesn't produce salvation. Because salvation here doesn't mean this uh, heavenly, ethereal, uh, I'm going to heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about salvation from sin. That if you feel this condemnation, you feel this conviction, and then you're not repenting, you're not making a resolve in your mind to change, and then walking forward with it, you're actually just going to keep being feeling convicted, and you're going to do it again, and you're going to feel convicted, and you're going to do it again. And then maybe uh, in a couple months, you'll learn that it, to kind of suppress the conviction <laughs> so you don't feel so bad, and then you put off repenting uh, and making any real change. And so you might feel the grief, and you try to numb it. Um, but that's what he's calling uh, worldly grief. And so when God wants to bring about repentance, he starts with conviction. And, uh, and so you can kind of identify these people who kind of sit in the worldly sorrow. You can kind of recognize these patterns um, because when you, you feel conviction, you've got two roads to take. Never in, has God ever put forth in his word that there's like four or five roads to take when it comes to sin or when it comes to conviction. Now, there are uh, other things, but that might, you know, in wisdom of should I do this, this, or this, well, all of these things are on the righteous path and this, this, and this, or I'll pass that, or not on the righteous path. <clears throat> and so there's always two paths, and Paul doesn't present any other options here. When there's conviction or there's grief or sorrow, you either lead towards repentance or you lead towards worldly grief, which produces death. Which one do you want? And one of them leads towards salvation from that sin without regret. And so you can always kind of tell these people who get stuck in these ruts uh, and in these sins for a while because they have worldly grief. Uh, they usually want you to feel sorry for themselves. Uh, they always play the victim. Uh, they always want you to help, but in their own way. Right? Um, here's an example. 
pray for me, I'm struggling with lust. Okay, I'll pray for you, but I could help you. You want help? No, 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 I think, just pray for me. Well, I don't know. I'm going to pray some things you probably don't want me to pray. Uh, they always want you to pray for them, but they never want you to help them take an active step forward. It's because in their mind they haven't repented. They haven't taken a resolve to do whatever it takes to go forward. Uh, you know, we are, uh, in, in modern times, we are, the church is plagued with men who are addicted to pornography. And uh, I've helped several guys out of that. And uh, I won't tell you exactly the steps I take, because if that's you, come and talk to me and I'll help you. Uh, but if I tell you, you might not like it, and then you won't come to me, but I'll, maybe we can get to a few steps. But it's actually pretty simple. Um, it's not easy, but it's pretty simple. Um, and so, uh, you know, when someone really wants to change and is keeping with repentance, they've changed their mind, they want to stop, there's active steps forward to take. And so that's the, that's the step of faith, and our faith without works is dead. God, God doesn't deliver something to you, a conviction, something you need to repent of, and not an active step forward out of faith. There's no faith that is just in your mind and in your heart. It doesn't exist. Look at the honor roll of faith in Hebrews 11. Uh, by faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. By faith, someone did this. They did this. They did this. They did this. Out of faith. Not by faith... Abraham sat in his study and thought about things for two hours. And he felt really sorry for himself. They did things out of their faith. And so Paul even says in verse 11, we didn't read it, is, perceive what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. There was an earnestness, there was a zeal, there was something to go forward. And, um, you know, something, we don't, he doesn't tell us exactly uh, what letter he was referring to, if it was in the first, you know, what we call first Corinthians, it's, well, they had to, hey, Paul's telling them, hey, kick this guy out of church, get him out of here, hand him over to Satan, maybe he'll repent and come back, but he has to repent, and, well, you have to take a step of faith, you, if, if Paul, you know, uh, sends people, um, so I'm going to pull up first Corinthians, I'm saying this, but, you know, if Paul sends people, and he hears something back, and they're like, that guy's still in the church, I told him to kick him out, what are they doing? Because um, this is how Paul operated. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse uh, what was 11. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there was quarreling among you. <laughs> Chloe's people reported to Paul, hey, there's all these quarrels, there's these divisions. So Paul kept in step with the Corinthian people. He was shepherding them. He was discipling them. He gave them active steps forward in keeping with their repentance. And I'm sure he was going to follow up with them and hear if they had kicked the guy out or not or what they had done. He gave them all kinds of instructions in 1 Corinthians about what to do with the Lord's Supper. Hey, don't come drunk. Simple enough, right? Don't come, don't come to church drunk. So if you didn't know that, raise your hand. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, right? It's like, Here's some simple instruction. This was the state of the Corinthian church, and Paul's bringing all of these like very hard things. And I, I, I remember uh, some of the first times I read First Corinthians, I was like, oh my God, thank, thank God I'm not in the, the church. Uh, that one's really bad. 
And then I started paying more attention. I was like, oh, we are in that church. No. Uh, but like, this is how Paul shepherded his people. This is how he brought it. This is God's normal, uh, regular pattern in shepherding and discipleship. Uh, there's people, we all want this, but you can kind of like identify people and you could identify yourself if you want to stay outside of conviction. You usually keep people at an arm's distance. Uh, you're usually you know, not, being, not walking in the light, being open and honest about your sins. You want to hide them. Uh, you might pray, ask people to pray for them, but not want to take any steps forward. And so godly grief, godly sorrow produces repentance, this earnestness, right? Paul, the whole letter of 2 Corinthians, Paul is defending his ministry like he's not begging them, please let me be your pastor, please let me be your shepherd, please let me be your apostle. These are all the good things I can give you. <laughs> he's doing the exact opposite. He's saying, look what I did for you, and you guys are going to go against me? What are you thinking? This is not the way that God ordained it. And so, so godly grief produces repentance that takes the necessary steps forward. Faith without works is dead. Uh, the Lord doesn't give you grace for tomorrow. He's got it, but he's not giving it to you today. He doesn't give you grace for yesterday because that's gone. He doesn't give you grace for five minutes from now. God supplies grace for you now, in the moment, to be obedient to him, to trust his word, and faithfully go forward. 1 Peter 1.2 says, To those who are uh, elect exiles, to the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bethania, Bethania, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ for the sprinkling with his blood. And so repentance is bringing about obedience to Jesus Christ. The Great Commission, we love, you know, all authority has been given to me, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. Oh, man, I really like the, like, Jesus, these are your last words, like, can't you just say you love us and you'll miss us and you'll be back soon? No, he did, he did that earlier, <laughs> right? <laughs> he did that in the Last Supper. And he's saying, teach everybody to be obedient to me, to bring about my lordship. Baptize them, submerse them in the lifestyle of, of obedience. And so that's what God is doing, and that's how he brings it about. And so you have to be aware of that uh, in your own life of, are you bringing about, uh, or are you living a lifestyle of repentance. Uh, if, if you guys are Martin Luther fans, uh, and every October 31st we have Reformation Day, and at the condo we have a party, uh, and it's really fun, but we post the 95 theses and, uh, in several spots, and I try to highlight just a couple, but I can't remember if it's number one or number two, but it starts with the Christian lifestyle is a lifestyle of repentance. Because what Martin Luther was coming about is in the Catholic Church at the time, and maybe today, uh, that it's not a lifestyle of repentance, it's a lifestyle of penance. And that repentance happened once on Sunday, or confession happened once a month, or however often you did it. But that's not what God's calling you to. He's calling you to a lifestyle of repentance, which means a lifestyle of conviction. 
which means a lifestyle of hard words. And sometimes, uh, mostly I've been speaking about you receiving those hard words, but you have to understand if you're going to disciple anybody, if you're going to lead anybody, if you're going to have children, or if you have children, uh, everybody, every parent knows this, is that you have to tell your kids hard words all the time. You give them soft words. You give them kind words. It's always kind. But, uh, but that's how, that's God's normal operating pattern. He's using people to bring about conviction, to teach the law of God, to bring people towards repentance so that they can take a step forward and be sanctified. And so one of my, uh, so that might be on the other end of, you know, we always get nervous. Everyone uh, should be like Paul where he was grieved. He didn't take pleasure in saying, hey, kick this guy out of the church. Get him out of there. He's a bum. Hope we never see him again. Paul didn't take any pleasure in that, he said. He said he felt grief. He was so grieved that he regretted it. He had regrets. Like, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But it was by the Holy Spirit. And so it produced in the Corinthian church uh, a fruit that God was doing. And so maybe that's you that knows when God gives you uh, uh, the ability to disciple or help somebody, it's not going to be soft words often. Or maybe often, but it's not going to be soft words all the time. It's going to be hard words. It's going to be convicting words. It's going to be, well, this is what the word of the Lord says. This is what you should be doing. And you're going to be the bad guy. And so oftentimes, uh, we want to kind of hide from that. If you take pleasure in saying those things, then you really need to repent and someone needs to bring some hard words against you. Uh, and that's not a, a, a good heart posture to take. Um, but, you know, Paul said in Philippians that out of pretense or whatever, the word of the Lord is preached. <laughs> so take that as it is. But you can't take pleasure in that. You're not supposed to take pleasure, but you're not supposed to hide from it either. We're supposed to live in a community where there's grace, where I can talk to you about things that I recognize and I see, and then maybe God's using. I don't maybe say it immediately, but uh, you know, I ask the Lord when I should say it and how I should say it, and maybe I should pray that the Lord will have someone else say it to him uh, and keep praying that. And if the Lord doesn't bring anybody, then, then you're the guy or the girl. And so sometimes we shy away from those hard conversations with people because, uh, just like Paul, it could break our relationship. That means this person could leave the church. This person doesn't want to be friends. This person doesn't want to come over for game nights anymore. This person doesn't want to make me dinner. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe if I say this thing to my wife and it's not out of the grace, and maybe she, she'll not like me anymore. Uh, right? We, we shy away from those hard conversations. But if it's according to the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is showing you that, maybe you need to have... Uh, some guts uh, <laughs> uh, to, to say it and to say it with grace and pray about how I would bring that about. And so we're called as a community. I'm going to read Deuteronomy 4. I love always going back to this um, occasionally. It has to do with the Word of God, whether we are actually taking active steps forward to obey the Lord that we can feel conviction, we repent, and we take steps forward, individually and corporately. So Deuteronomy 4, let's start in uh, verse 5. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me. 
that you should do them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Jesus Christ died. He ascended to heaven. He was resurrected, ascended. All authority has been given to him. We are in the promised land. We've got it. We've got the earth. So, as the Lord commanded me that you should do them, you should do the law in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for they will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear of all these statutes, will surely say, This great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. And so we're a community that out of grace brings about the law of God. And we would look different than other people. We would look different than every other nation. We would look different than every other uh, community group uh, outside of Christ in Dayton. We would operate in a, day, in, a, in a different way. The Holy Spirit writes the law and brings about conviction. And he's going to bring people into your life to bring about repentance and change. And as we live that, it doesn't say that you should study the law and you should know it. And the other nations around us are going to be so envious of us, of our, uh, our theoretical wisdom that plays out in books. It says that we're going to live in a different way. We're going to act in a different way. And then the people are going to see it, and they're going to say, Oh my God, what great people is this that has a God so close to them? Statutes so great, so righteous. We don't have anything like this. There's something going on. And that's what we do, and that takes hard words. That takes hey, we're not living in accordance with the law of God. And, you know, usually uh, you're not trying to bring the hammer on somebody, you know, if it's you discipling or, or seeing that in, in someone's life. But, you know, sometimes you just have to ask questions. What is going on? Why are you doing this? Why is, what causes you to think this way? Did you know this was wrong? Did you know that the law of God says this? Did you know it says don't commit adultery? Oh, no. Oh, good. I'm glad you told me. Uh, right? You don't presume that people are just being willingly obedient, but you can, if you see something, uh, or if, you, if the Lord is bringing that in you to identify that in somebody, and you have the guts, you ask them questions. You use wisdom. You don't bring down the hammer, but it brings conviction. It's according to the law of the Lord. It's, con- it's according to grace. And real grace comes through that. And so when the Lord's delivering grace in these passages in, in 2 Corinthians, it doesn't feel nice. It doesn't feel good. It's not usually welcomed. It's not usually like, oh, I'm uh, so glad you said that. Um, I don't know if you guys are like me, but when someone corrects me, uh, I still I reference Proverbs 12.1 is because I still deal uh, poorly with being corrected. And so usually, someone corrects me, I'm like, oh my gosh, that guy's an idiot, or that girl's an idiot, they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, I'm just like, I'll shake my head, and I'll try to like smile, and then uh, a day later, I'll think about it, and I'll be like, ah, they're probably right. <laughs> and it takes me like 24 hours, but it's not, it's not in my spirit yet. But can I, can I at least not lash out verbally this time? I hope so. 
or else they're going to have to correct me some more. And so if you guys are like me, sometimes it's you think about it and meditate it and the change and the conviction builds up and then repentance comes. Uh, I know that's normally how I'm operating because uh, my flesh is so strong against the spirit. And so that takes, when you bring those hard words, I don't think the Corinthians repented instantly. I don't think that normally happens in reality. And so, um, uh, so be prepared, but you have to, you have to stew on it. You have to meditate, and you have to be prepared to say, you know, if you're bringing the hard words, you got to be prepared to say, maybe that's going to break our relationship for a while. They're not going to like me until they repent. And but that's not on me. That's on God. That's on them. And you pray for them, uh, and you pray that they would come to, you know, uh, repentance, conviction, uh, and sanctification. And so. Those hard words are necessary. Those hard words are necessary to hear. Those hard words are necessary to speak. Um, if you guys have ever, uh, I think everybody would testify that some of the best relationships you have are those relationships that there's hard things said, there's corrections on both sides, and you guys grow through it. I've had a lot of surface relationships in my life where it was all, uh, I'll be friends with you until, uh, until it gets tough. Or until, uh, or until you say something that I don't like, and then I won't be your friend anymore, or we'll kind of start. And those aren't really deep relationships. Those aren't really community relationships. Uh, those aren't really godly relationships. And so this, this principle that uh, 2 Corinthians brings out is, should open us to uh, repentance from not hearing hard words, repentance for not saying hard words, and... Uh, Repentance for, for fleeing the path of God that would be grief, like emotional strain, uh, and, and just running away. I think that's a, a common problem. And so, the grace of the Lord be with us. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So for people who are listening on the live stream and for the recording later, uh, it was asked, what are, if we just listed kind of the comments, what are the, some characteristics of ungodly grief that produces death and godly grief that produces repentance? So I'll start with ungodly grief because I'm much more familiar with that one. Uh, so usually it's always, so it all, either side starts with conviction, right? You get convicted or, or, and so when you, or there's something that should be convicted, and then so you're either running towards that conviction or you're running away from it, meaning that you're realizing that it's a problem, that it's sin, it's not God-honoring, it's not good for you, it's not good for other people, according to the law of God. And you're, uh, at that point, conviction kind of sometimes seems the same, but you either run towards it, and you're like, yeah, that's, you're, 
having the mindset of, yeah, that is wrong, you're at least mentally um, on, the, uh, on this side, on the godly grief side, you're saying, yes, that's wrong. And so conviction on the worldly sorrow, the worldly grief, is going to run away from that. No, that's not that bad. It's going to be um, excuse-making. Well, I did that because this person did this. It's not owning the problem. It's, it's, it's running away from it, right? So that's you know, excuse-making uh, or rationalizing. Well, I would, I'll do that tomorrow. Yeah, you're right. I should think about that tomorrow when I get time, uh, right? Um, you know, and it's... or. It's, sometimes it's the worldly grief. It's not when someone brings something into your life and talking to you about it. When you feel the conviction, you don't want to walk in the light and have real uh, community and fellowship. You try to hide it, right? Uh, or you try to uh, uh, you know, go about it in, in your own way, right? Like uh, I couldn't tell you how many people ask me to pray for, their, for men for their lust, and I pray for them, but I offer them help, but... Do you want me to do anything or not? Do you want me to actually help you? Uh, you want me to tell you the godly steps forward? Or do you want me to just keep praying? And I'll pray next week. I'll pray the week after that. I'll pray a year from now. But do you want to take steps forward? Uh, and so the worldly grief is usually, it's in the darkness. It's hiding it. It doesn't want to come to the full light. Sometimes we come partially to the light. Yeah, I know it's a problem. But, you know, just pray for me or something. Uh, that's not going to really help, so you know. Right, yeah, having a rebuttal or saying, you know, um, or... You know, it's a rebuttal, or sometimes it's just shame, and it's just uh, feeling sorry for yourself. It's just they, okay, well, you can feel sorry for yourself, but not for long, because that's not godly either, and you need to repent of that. <laughs> uh, you know, and so, yeah, it's, it's excuse-making, it's someone else's, it's rationalizing, it's blame-shifting. Um, it doesn't, they don't own the problem is the, is the major thing. And so, on the worldly grief, or on the, I'm sorry, on the godly grief, it leads to repentance. It's conviction. You're walking in the light. You're uh, admitting it's an issue. And you're making that mental shift, that mental resolve that you're going to change. It's not going to be like this again. Not one more time, not two more times, and then I'll quit. It's now. And so on the worldly grief, there's no resolve. There's no um, like steel in their soul that says, this is going to stop. You're right. By the grace of God, we're going to stop this. And I'm going to walk in the light. I'm going to do whatever it takes, no matter what. I don't care if I lose my job. I don't care what happens, uh, whatever the situation is. I'm going to do it. Um, you know, godly sorrow, godly grief leads to that resolve that this is never going to happen again. And I'm going to fight against it. I'm going to grab a hold of the grace of God, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to grab my brothers. I'm going to grab my sisters. And I'm going to grab the grace of God, and it's going to change. And that leads to sanctification, walking, bearing fruit with your, in your repentance. It's walking it out after that. But in worldly grief, there's no resolve. There's, no, there's only a regret. If you look at the passage, it says that the godly grief 
leads to repentance and salvation without regret. Worldly grief always leads to regret because you're going to do it again because you're uh, going to be convicted again. There's going to be regret. Why didn't I do this last week? Well, now, um, well, now I've had the problem for six months and I wasn't walking in the light and I kind of mentioned it six months ago, but now if I tell this person, then uh, now they're going to know I've been doing it for six months instead of, <laughs> instead of taking care of it or whatever. And so then you get the regret and then you say, well, I'll, do it, I'll tell them next week. And then you're like, man, it's been six months and a week. I'll tell them next week. And it just keeps growing and it produces more and more regret. I don't have any regret for walking in the light. <laughs> I don't have any regret for admitting my sins and admitting them to God and my brothers and them helping me. There's no regret. What are you going to regret? That I forsook my sin and obeyed Jesus? <laughs> right? And so one produces um, fellowship, comfort, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, fellowship in Christ and the Father. Uh, the other one leads you away from fellowship. Um, so there's a lot of things that uh, you can identify as whether it's worldly grief or, or godly grief. The main thing is, is it leading you to a resolve that produces repentance? Is there an internal steel resolve that this is going to end? I can guarantee you won't have any regret because that's what the, the word says. Amen? Uh, let's pray. Father, give us your Holy Spirit. Your word says that sanctification is the Spirit. The Spirit writes the law on our hearts to give us a new conscience according to your word, according to your law, and that you bring us brothers and sisters to help that, to live that out. And that's hard words, uh, that's conviction, and that's repentance. Pour your Holy Spirit on us, Lord, that we would actually live in this way, by your grace, through Jesus. Amen.